You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Well, hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole. And I can't tell you where we're coming from because, well, then I would have to kill you. And I am here with one of our hosts here on the 602 Club, Christy Morris. Christy, it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I shouldn't have said your real name. Uh, (sighs) Agent Nine of Clubs. It is good to have you back. Well, thank you so much, King of Diamonds. Um, I appreciate you having me. Oh, oh, well, I had no idea I was being promoted to king, but man, <laughs> it feels good. feels good. I, I feel like I should have a more comfortable chair if I'm king. But anyway, right. uh, we are going to be diving into a film that just recently released on Netflix called Heart of Stone, and that is starring Gal Gadot, none other than Wonder Woman. But before we get there, of course, we... Thank you so much for listening. We, we always appreciate you tuning in to our shows. It means a lot. Uh, if you would like to interact with us, we'd love that. And you can do that on social media at the 602 Club. We are also on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can also find the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. You can join listeners from all over the world to talk about the shows we have here on TFM over on the Babel Conference. And that's a listeners only discussion group. They're on Facebook. You can join. You can also find us online at track.fm. Please, if you are listening to this podcast, just subscribe wherever you are listening. You'll get the episodes as soon as they release. Also, you can help us out by giving us star ratings and reviews there on places like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All of those do a great job of helping other people find us. The more ratings, the more reviews you have the more people find you when they're searching for podcasts. So we really appreciate that. And last but not least, you can go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash trek.fm and become part of our team and make sure that all of these shows can keep coming to you. It's a pretty expensive thing to do this and we can't do it without listeners just like you. And so again, that is Patreon at patreon.com slash trek.fm. Chrissy, before we got to anything on the outline, this is I was interested in. Is this a movie that you had realized was coming out at all? I mean, I know Netflix done to dumb thing that they do. It's it's like a conference basically just for uh, Netflix where they're they're premiering all of the things that are going to be coming on uh, the platform that year and. Um, this was definitely part of that, but was that something that had reached you? You realized this were coming out? Uh, were you excited about it? Well, that's the crazy thing. I actually hadn't heard any kind of marketing for this until I was perusing Netflix and saw there was a new movie available to watch. So, yeah, I mean, I had no previous knowledge of it um, until I was scrolling looking for something new. What about you? I mean, it's definitely something that I was aware was coming out. But, uh, you know, unlike most people, I am also, uh, because we do this show uh, and because we're trying to set up the schedule, 
Uh, and I'm always at the beginning of the year, and actually even before that, um, I'm looking online to see the release dates for films. Uh, Wikipedia actually does a really good job of taking all the release dates for all the films that are going to be coming out in a, in a year, breaking them down by month and the day they're supposed to release. And it's not only films that are coming out in the theater, but it's also films that are coming out on streaming. Oh. And this was one that had been listed there. And then, of course... I was able to see uh, the the release of the trailer when it came out, when they dropped it during that uh, Netflix conference. Uh, and so I was aware that it was coming out. But, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, this is a movie that they obviously want to kind of be a big deal. And the fact that none of the marketing for it really reached you, I think goes to show that maybe the marketing for this film wasn't as pervasive as it needed to be on places like, uh, you know, Instagram or Facebook or maybe even Twitter where, you know, it would catch your eye and you'd be like, ooh, what's that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that even if, for example, someone doesn't have Netflix, you need to be, especially for movies that are straight to streaming, be sending that in email format or putting ads somewhere um on other mm -hmm. websites um, to where people would pick up on it. I mean, definitely exactly. something like Instagram or Twitter where it's all visual. I think that you need that. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, so, you know, this whole movie is basically a new spy organization. It's a spy movie. It's a spy thriller in the vein of something like uh, Mission Impossible or James Bond, maybe even a little bit of the Bourne series. And this organization is called The Charter. And it's run by what's called The Heart, which uh, they're an independent uh, group. They work to try and save the world. Uh, and The Heart itself, that is the heart of this group, is basically the entity from Dead Reckoning, uh, and mm -hmm. it allows them to tap into anything, uh, basically electronic to, uh, you know, they have access to basically anything and everything possible. Uh, it's the smartest AI on the planet. It can almost predict the future, uh, and that's what they use to run their organization and to run their operations. And so... I just first wanted to ask you, we're entering a brand new universe and with a totally new type of spy organization, even though it's kind of based off of things we've seen before. How how does this work for you as a setup? So I think that the bones of the story here are actually interesting, even though you could possibly call it derivative. Um because we've seen even before some of the other movies, supercomputers or, you know, even stuff like iRobot kind of had that same kind of supercomputer intelligence kind of thing. Um, so I don't think that's something that's going to go away or is um, getting stale for people, um, especially with AI now being such a big deal in society. I think that kind of a weakness is more on the production side of the start of the film. Um, 
for either the editing or the writing, I think that it took too long to get into the interesting part of the the story. I don't know if you felt the same way, but it's like the premise is cool, but maybe they dropped you in at the wrong point. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, And I can I can absolutely see, you know, uh, having watched the film, of course, uh, what you're saying and why you're saying it. So I I think that's a valid criticism for sure. Uh, You know, I think when I was thinking about this and the idea of trying to create basically a a new spy franchise uh, and everything you know, it it wasn't just uh, James Bond and Mission Impossible I was seeing, but there's also uh, like Minority Report type mm. of thing here, like yeah. where you have this this cognitive AI uh, that is is basically so almost self aware that it's you know almost able to predict the future, like the cogs there, and the type of certainty it's able to give, um, and the way that it's able to. Uh, connect to everything yeah i mean you know the heart and it's maybe i guess it's not big brother it's big sister you know uh and so that that's something that was i mean and like you said i think that there are some interesting pieces to this i mean the idea of this basically being the anti mission impossible dead reckoning where the entity there is seen as being something that nobody should ever use that Mm -hmm. question doesn't even exist in this one you know it's more about who controls uh the heart and how they use it more than it is even a question of whether or not we should in the first place like that whether i mean they never even asked that question about the fact that should we be using this power in the first place which i think i think the biggest issue that i have with this setup and it's it's you know Greg Rucka who is a comic book writer and uh, also worked in film and everything came up with this idea. Obviously, he has no idea what they're going to be doing on Mission Impossible and what the storyline is going to be there. Mm-hmm. But I think this movie pretty much suffers mightily from being released after Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, and Dead Reckoning being so much more interesting. And I think like. You mentioned this movie has great bones, and yet when we start putting the meat on the bones, there's actually nothing there. It just becomes kind of this hollow exercise, I feel like, mm-hmm. uh, and we're not we're not really doing anything all that interesting with all the questions that should get raised from using this type of technology, and that's, I think, the thing that's, you know... Interesting setup, but it doesn't really seem to pay off in any way because they're not really interested in asking any of the really interesting questions that we got asked in, say, Dead Reckoning. Yeah. Well, and you really brought up a great point that they could have focused on how, even if they don't know what's going on in the storytelling for Dead Reckoning, they could focus here about how specifically this supercomputer is not being... Um, is not sentient. So it's mm-hmm. not like yep. the entity in the sense that the computer itself is trying to take over the world. It's right. just a useful tool. And mm-hmm. it's right. all about how you use it and yeah. who is driving that. Exactly. That's an excellent point, too, because, um, you know, they do make reference to the idea that this is a tool. 
which is great. Um, but l as you mentioned, we don't actually really even, I think, dig into that enough to really make it um, as robust as it should be as a conversation. Because I think, you know, absolutely, um, there are so many questions that go along with the idea of utilizing this type of technology and the power that it has. I mean, y y you could basically, and, and it's shown that in the wrong hands, you can kill anyone, anytime, anywhere. You could watch any nuke you ever wanted. You could destroy governments. You could topple regimes. You could crash you know, planes. Just a crash planes you could obliterate stock markets you know mm -hmm. and and destroy economies with the basically the touch of a button and the fact that we again really never ask the questions about all of that power being in anybody's hands um is is a really interesting thing to me it it it's strange mm -hmm. to me that it's just not really a thought and two i think that it's sort of the perspective of don't look at the thing behind the curtain. Like they're telling <laughs> you, they're telling you that this is a big deal and how important it is. And it's bad if it gets into the wrong hands, but not really showing you why or giving more information about how it was created and, you know, anything like that. Um, or why Jack was trusted to be the driver of it in the first place either. So there's a lot of things there that, you know, in something like Ghostbusters, you don't want to get too into the details because they don't really matter. Whereas here, they didn't get right. too into the details, but they do matter. <laughs> That's, I mean, such a great point that the details matter. Yeah. Uh, and I I could not agree with you more because, you know, they, they do and, – and you mentioned, and I think rightly so, that this has some interesting bones – uh, as an idea. And one of the ideas in the film that does get explored quite a bit, and I mean, it's probably the biggest theme of the film, is this idea of the ends and the means. And if the ends justify the means, in fact, her boss, Hart's boss, the, the main character is named Rachel Hart. Ha ha. Mm -hmm. That might be the worst part of this movie, is the fact that it, the title and... The plays on anyway. words... <laughs> it's just not good. Uh, but uh, so the idea that the heart, uh, the software, um, the way they use it is to try and help the most amount of people to save the most amount of lives as possible. Basically, it's a utilitarian argument. And which is a classic philosophical argument of the, you know, the, the most good for the most amount of people is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and they're basically playing this numbers game based on all the information they have accessed and you're kind of pitting human intuition versus this numbers game and you're not really caring about people you know because people aren't actual people they're just more like pieces on this strategic game board with the heart kind of running it all and it's all about the numbers it's not about people and everything and i just you know I, all of this is, I think, really interesting. Um, I think they do, I guess, a decent job of, of talking about this. But how did you feel about that? Because this really is our big, I think, overarching thematic element for the film. So it was the same kind of thing where I felt that the way they introduced it didn't really explain that well. 
they just have heart skiing down a mountain while some guy behind the computer is telling her a route and some odds about what route is going to be the most percentage successful, but not why or where this thing is and what else it's used for. It just kind of felt like a video game. So I think that right from the gate, they don't do a good job of making me feel invested that this is important and this is going to be a big philosophical question. But later, I do agree in that scene between Hart and um, Nomad, her boss, that that was a good conversation about whether the ends justify the means. And then also what you're saying about this thought of human intuition and decision making versus a machine telling you the best odds. That Those are both great things that we could explore it just kind of gets mentioned and then they move on yeah i mean you know because they try to play it out by the end of the movie you know when they don't have the heart anymore and the whole question of whether or not they can you know trust kaya and you know at that point nomad goes with rachel's intuition that she Mm -hmm. can trust them and i think you know all of this is 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 decent, but again, I think there's so much more that you could do here, and I think it's just such an important question of, of you know, there's something inhuman about the idea that everything that we should do and what's really right to do is just based off of a pure numbers game. Mm-hmm. You know that that because it takes all relationship out of it, it, it makes it cold uh, and calculating. Instead of having the warmth of, of, you know, human love and intuition and all of these things. Um, And by taking that, and in fact, you know, even the idea in this movie plays with uh, this idea of, you know, in the end, Rachel offers Kaya mercy. And, you know, a a machine can't offer mercy to somebody, you know, um, uh, because uh, in, in, in a machine, obviously, too, even with as much information as it has, it's still going to miss things the way that human beings miss things. You know, the, the heart had no idea that Parker was going to be an agent that turns on them, you know, uh, because of its past, mm-hmm. um, because it didn't have full information, just like the humans didn't either. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we can be fooled. And so I. That was another thing I thought was interesting as well when it comes to this ends justifying the means. It's like they're pretending as though the heart has omniscience, like it knows everything. Mm-hmm. But it it just knows as much as any human being does that's put it into some sort of computer program, right? Right. It still doesn't know everything mm-hmm. and therefore can also still be wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I I thought that was an interesting thing that obviously never really gets explored in the film. Yeah. And I, I love how this fits into with the logic piece of it, that a machine is always going to base things off of pure numbers and what's the most logical decision in a process. Whereas humans to err is human, you know, (laughs) we, do things that are not logical all the time. (laughs) Right. So a machine is not going to pick up on that or, for example, offer mercy, like in a situation where um, a machine chooses between 
either saving 50 people or one child that is about to be crushed in an earthquake in that mm-hmm. situation right. for humanity, it would depend, you know, it, because in that moment, maybe the average person would say, if I could save one child, I would want to do that because they're innocent and they're mm-hmm. defenseless. Right. And, you know, possibly yes. these 50 people could do something to help themselves more mm-hmm. than this one child could. Yeah. Well, and in, in, in the end, right, uh, it's very difficult for these things to not come down to binary choices. Yeah. And, um, you know, we as human beings have the ability to hold two things in our mind that can seem contradictory, and yet they aren't. It can be a both and, you know, and mm-hmm. because computers can't really do that, um, this is another place where, again, that idea of human intuition comes in. And so being able to think above and beyond what a computer program can is really interesting. Um, and, you know, so, you know, as you know, the whole idea that there's just so much that's really in this film that can can be kind of parsed out and could have been talked about, I think, an even deeper level because you know that that's where uh the movie sits um with these ideas um i i think it does an okay job of discussing things um especially here but it's it's not it, there's so much more that i think that this raises that they just aren't able to really get to which would have been i think more interesting in some ways just because you know, otherwise, you know, we might talk about it later, of course, but it just the I think the the thematic elements here are more interesting than all of the generic action mm-hmm. uh, that takes place. And so especially with the things we've set up, which I, I guess leads me to ask you a question. You know, this movie is about uh, Gal Gadot's character, Rachel. And her kind of carrying the entire film, um, you know, and, and both of us have loved her as Wonder Woman and I think thought she did a great job there uh, and really enjoyed her. And I, I got to ask you, though, I mean, does she have what it takes to pull off this role or is it more the writing that is just not? giving her what she really needs to pull this off. I think she did the best she could with the writing here. I I think obviously from things she's done with Wonder Woman or um oh gosh, what was that movie she did that was called like um Queen of the Nile or something? Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh um that's like Death on the Nile. Yes, so. Death, Death on, on, the, on Nile. the Nile. Yeah. yeah. So when you see her doing Wonder Woman or Death on the Nile or, you know, as an, any number of things, she can do action and she can do witty dialogue. Um, you know, she's very versatile. I think here it's purely just the writing doesn't give her enough interesting things to do aside from just being there to look pretty. Sure. Um, which, hey, she does very well. But um, I think that you need more, like you said, meat there in the story to keep it 
earned and meaningful and something that's interesting because they definitely benefit from having an actress as big as she is now um, well known to be carrying the movie. That's what's making people click on it to watch it first and foremost, for sure. But that can't be all. And I think, too, just the way that this character was written with Rachel, it's kind of unfortunate because it feels like she doesn't have a lot of stakes as a character, even. That from the beginning, it seems like things are pretty easy for her. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I mean, obviously, she has her challenges here and there. But for the most part, I feel like she's the superhero and everybody is just trying to measure up. And it doesn't really make sense why. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't give her background. Yeah, they really don't do a good job of giving her any background. In fact, her background feels so similar to like a James Bond, you know, where she's taken in and you know, given a new lease on life uh, to, to be a secret agent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that you have rightly pinpointed the fact that the, one of the biggest problems with the film really is the writing for this character. I also think it's the direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're really getting the best out of her in this film. And I also think part of it is her. I just don't think she necessarily, I don't know if she has the ability to elevate material in the way that you would need here um, because I don't think she just has, at least they're not bringing out in her any really super charisma. They're not bringing out like a something that just brings something to this that, that makes more than it is because um, mm-hmm. that's exactly what this needed is somebody – to really come in and and just make this more than it was. And and I don't think that she does that. I think that's partly writing. I think it's partly her. And I think it's partly mm-hmm. the direction. And all those are kind of to blame. Um, and then I, I think that you've also pinpointed a problem with the film is that for the most part, I do think that things feel too easy for her. And she's so good at everything for the most part um, that – it's it, and it's not like that's an issue when it, we we're talking about somebody being a super spy, right? That mm-hmm. they're supposed to be like that, um, and yet I just don't feel like there was really too many interesting places for this character to go. We do have her struggle with you know wanting to basically not be a machine mm-hmm. run only by the idea of numbers, but by uh, connecting with people. But I think. And in, in the end, too, that just it's just not really well served for the character in the writing. And I think the movie just is very cliche in that, you know, there's just not anything really super special about that theme. You know, it, there's nothing new here. And I think that's really the biggest thing for the, for her as a character and an actor uh, and the role. It's just this is really kind of blase stuff, mm-hmm. you know, um, and because it's not setting itself apart in an interesting way, it, it just kind of leaves you like, I mean, it's, she's fine, but it, I would say kind of aggressively fine. And that's absolutely not what you need for the role. It kind of made me laugh though. <laughs> what, you are aggressively fine. Gal aggressively fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, something else too, that you kind of mentioned that, 
I didn't realize until you were talking about it more was even just Rachel's relationships or lack thereof in this movie. They don't mention anything about a family. They have her kind of have a connection with her team, but it never really shows how they've built a bond. And so you don't feel a super I mean, strong other connection. Than yeah. Together, other than dancing. That one time. So, yeah. um, and then she doesn't have any romantic relationships either. So it's like, what does she have that she's living for mm-hmm. then that motivates her to keep getting up every day and doing this job? Because at least with someone like Ethan in Mission Impossible, he's got someone that he's fighting for. And yeah. with her, it ends up feeling like, I don't even get why she wakes up every day. You know, it feels like she doesn't really want to be here and she has no one to love anymore. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, they try to do that in the film with this idea of that. What, you know, that she's driven more by the idea of people, you know, and saving people than than just some sort of like number, which, again, is kind of interesting, but I don't think we dive into enough and because like you said i 100% agree with you that they we are not really digging into her as much as a character it's just not as interesting mm-hmm. um and so I, I i'm right there with you i think that's that's super frustrating and you know i i think what's what's interesting as well is that you know with the rest of the cast um you know, I actually just saw uh, Archie uh, as Ivo. He's just kind of in the background. He's helping out the Jack of Hearts character um, throughout most of the movie. Um, he was in Gran Turismo as the main character, and he's fantastic. I mean, but I mean, I think most of these characters just kind of feel so cookie cutter for the most part. I mean, you have the boss in Nomad, and you've got Parker as the villainous bad guy. And, you know, you got the guy in the chair and then you have the um, person who in in Kaya who's bad and but yet she's bad because she's been hurt and and we're going to turn her in the end. And I I feel like all of this is 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 this is where the movie really falls down is that the cast and the story completely lets everybody down. Like, there's Mm -hmm. just nothing interesting for them to do because everything here is so cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. And even though you have some big name actors in the movie, like Gal Gadot or Glenn Close as the King of Diamonds, I mean, gosh, talk about not getting much to do. Um, Yeah, they totally underutilized her. Yeah, talk about one of the best villains of all time. Name a better Cruella DeVille. Um but also having Jamie Dornan as Parker, who people may be familiar with from the Fifty Shades of Grey series, um, mm-hmm. was a great casting choice. But then the writing just doesn't hold up to give them enough yeah. to do. And then, yeah. like you said, I think sometimes, too, even I don't know if the actors were not really loving the material either. But there is a piece missing even with the, either the direction or the, or the performance, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the problem is is to, yeah, the the writing here and all of the characters are so 
one note mm-hmm. and their 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 characters and archetypes we've seen so many times and because there's not any nuance or anything really interesting to them you just don't really care about them mm-hmm. and i think that's a real problem with the film and i also think you know when we talk about like the idea of the action and the production of the film i think that's another place where they actually did go film in certain places like Iceland and London and stuff like that. So there is reality to this film, but there are also plenty of places where it legitimately felt like you were playing a spy thriller video game mm-hmm. and it looked like that as well. And so I and and I think especially at the beginning of the movie, once they reveal that she has this special thing called the heart she's got these contact lenses and it like tells her where everybody is so she could easily shoot them and all it's just like wow this feels so video game-ish and so not real that i just kind of lost interest in a lot of the action sequences yeah i don't think you needed any of those scenes where they were mapping out the route for her to ski in or where people were with the heat vision or whatever you want to call it. I think that it would have done so much better if it focused purely on the action of her trying to get there. Like they've done in Bond films, you know, fantastic skiing scenes that we could recall as well, but didn't have this angle to it. And that kind of ruined it. It feels like you're in a video game because... It almost reminds you even of Mario Kart, where they're showing you the track in front of you. you know? um, and then again, you know, the scenes where some of the effects were really bad, you could tell it's low budget. There's ways to hide that where it's not so obvious. Um, the scene where they are going through the trolleys in town and a car catches fire. That was the most fake fire I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's unfortunate for most films these days is that when you're using CGI fire, it just looks really, really bad. And unfortunately, uh, people keep using it. Um, I know it's cheaper and easier and safer and everything, but we can all tell. Uh, And I think that's a big problem, um, you know, with the film. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't know what the budget is for this film, but it does feel like they probably spent a good amount on it. And there are some places where I think things do look good, but man, there are plenty of places as well where I can tell that uh, they're on the volume, basically. Uh, and, you know, in a lot of the motorcycle sequences and things like that, it's like just feels so unrealistic. So then again, it creates this feeling of kind of being in a video game. And, and so I'm already divorced from the film emotionally because the characters aren't really connecting. The story is not doing anything as interesting as it could be doing it if it was really digging into the questions it actually raises. And so, and therefore with the action just kind of being boring, Um, and not feeling real, I'm just kind of left feeling flat, um, as the action does most of the time kind of feeling flat. And what's, I'm, I think the most surprising thing about this is knowing that Netflix wants this to be a franchise. They want this to be a new franchise to kind of rival, you know, James Bond or, uh, to rival Mission Impossible and, 
do you, I mean, after seeing this film, do you want more films in this? Do you, would you be interested actually in this being a franchise? No, <laughs> there's nothing there to draw out into a franchise. I mean, you've got to start with more to do and then leave people with an interesting plot to further explore and you don't even have that. So if they do make another movie, I would be surprised because I don't see how you could. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard for me to add anything to that because I think you yeah. absolutely said it. And when you talked about the idea of what could you add to this, I mean, now that the heart is back in their control, it feels like that makes things so easy for mm -hmm. them that I, I don't really – I'm right there with you. I don't know where you go with this. And – I'm sadly just not interested in any of the characters. I'm not really interested in this world. It's just not interesting. And mm -hmm. that's ridiculously annoying to feel for a film that, you know, again, I think, you know, Netflix probably poured a lot of money into this trying to make people want to care about this. But I think that this movie's only why for existing is to try and create a franchise Instead of really, truly digging into the whys of this story. And the whys of the story that we talked about thematically are very interesting. But the problem also is, is that Mission Impossible is already doing this thing, same thing, and it's doing it much more interestingly. And it's doing it with characters that we already know, love, and care about so that we're more invested in them. And this just doesn't have any of that. So, mm -hmm. I guess... That leads me to the question. I don't know if we have too much more to talk about with this one, but what it, would you rate Heart of Stone? So it's funny because I immediately thought of John Mills and his rating system for movies, especially when he thinks they're bad. Um, but I give it a little bit of credit just because of the the good bones that it had there to, to make something out of, even if they didn't. Um, but... Ultimately, really, I wouldn't go back and watch it again. <laughs> so I guess I give it a uh, like a two out of five. And I think that's kind of being generous. Um, two out of five, nine of hearts. Two uh, out of five hearts. Think, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I think you're I'm with you. I'll, I'll give this two out of five as well um and the reason i'm going to give that is because i what we mentioned uh and the fact that this does have some structural bones to it that are interesting it just turns out that the rest of it is hollow is frustrating and you know even like you mentioned having an extremely good looking cast you know led by gal is just not enough to make this interesting uh, and you need more. And uh, so I, I think, you know, one of the things we're learning throughout this strike and everything with Hollywood at this point in time is that uh, movies need to be more interesting. And movies writing need to matters. Be... We need good writers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We need, we need, uh, and, and, you know, I don't think that Greg Rucka is a bad writer, I just don't think that this this idea is well executed, um, and mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, it, it feels like the 
most dumbed down version of the story. Uh, and, you know, maybe this would have been more interesting if they had allowed themselves to focus more on some of those really deep philosophical questions and then added that with other and other good writing, specifically in writing characters that are worth watching on screen. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that happens, you know, we, we love, uh, these, these actors and actresses, and sometimes they just make choices for films that just don't make sense. And this is definitely one that doesn't make sense to me, but Christy, if, if people wanted to, you know, catch up with you, see what else you've got going on these days, where else would they be able to find you? Sure. You can find me on Instagram and X, I guess we should call it now instead of Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then when I'm not here, you know, I did have a finished show called Sabres and Spells over on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network that I hope you'll check out. Um, and who knows, maybe I'll have some other things coming along soon. But what about you? You can find me all over the place on social media under MattRushing02, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, or all the places I am most active. And of course, on uh, this network, you'll find me outside the 602 Club with a lot of different shows. Warp 5, Literary Treks, The Orb, Saddle Up, and The Artificial Tango. I'm on the Nerd Party Network with two shows. One is completed called Owl Post about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series and on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills where we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear. here.